It is that time now once again For getting lumped up with my friends It's rock a mic And Rob that you should know And you'll find them here on the rock show What's up, Mike? How you doing? All right, doing good. How about you? Pretty good. So today we have an exciting show, man. A band that's been around for 40 years almost. Yeah. And this is uh, the Rock Show episode 138. And who are we talking about today? We're talking about one of the big four of heavy metal bands, Anthrax. What would you consider the big four? The big four is always considered Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer. Yeah. And anthrax. Yeah. Yeah, they've always been the big four. I you mean, know, you, know, you know that they, what they did that was pretty interesting? They're one of the few groups, just like remember when Run DMC did the thing with um with uh, Aerosmith? Right. These guys did a song with um, Public, Public Enemy. Public Enemy, yeah. Um, and it was great. Yeah. They, they, like the they, power. they were doing that rap metal thing, like, even before stuff like uh, what, like Limp Biscuit, yeah, shit like that, you know, um, yeah, I, they, 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 they were early on in the mid '80s. They would, they would talk about their love for for rap music, and Scotty and used to wear the Public Enemy shirt on stage yeah. sometimes, and then Public Enemy was giving them props back, you know, in cer- certain songs they were mentioning them, and then they ended up touring together later on. So yeah, yeah. I mean it, it was kind of a unique time you know in music with these two genres crossing over with each other uh and of course you mentioned run dmc i mean that was a big hit yeah walk this, walk this way and all that yeah all right so what you got tell me a little bit of the history because we got a, we got a long one today man i mean we're yeah. talking like 41 years basically 40 you know years. what's the thing you know what's the thing i never real i never realized they were a new york band you know that oh you didn't know that they're from queens I didn't know that. For some reason, I thought it was from somewhere. Most, most of the time, when I think of heavy metal, I'm thinking people from Detroit or the UK. Well, yeah. No, these these guys, as opposed to as opposed to the other three, were yeah. from California. Yeah. I think Slayer. I think Slayer's from California too. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, but Me- uh, Metallica and Megadeth are. Um, Anthrax was East Coast, and uh, I always. I'm not the biggest metalhead in the world, but I do enjoy some of it and and anthrax was always you know one of my favorites of that whole genre uh and part of that is because they're from queens i mean scott ian i believe was from forest hills uh so they were basically based around there um they basically got started in july of 1981 when guitarist scott ian and dan lilker um with ian's friend dave weiss on drums they were like a three-piece okay and uh, the band was named after the disease of the same name, Anthrax, <laughs> which, which Ian, Ian actually saw it in a biology textbook in school. OK, and he, he chose it because it sounded sufficiently evil. That was that was the quote. <laughs> they wanted to have an evil sounding band. Now, Lilker originally intended Scott Satari to play bass in the band during their early phases as a cover band. Okay. That's how they really started. Uh, But Anthrax's initial lineup ended up being completed by singer John Connolly and bassist Paul Kahn. Kahn was briefly replaced by bassist Kenny Kushner before Lilka took over on bass and the band brought in lead guitarist Greg Walls. Now follow this here. It's, it's a little tough with these ins and outs. Okay. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of people, band. a bunch of people in this band. Now Weiss was then replaced early on by drummer Greg D'Angelo, who was a friend of Greg Walls in the band. He brought him in. Now Scott Ian's younger brother Jason Rosenfeld, okay, had been a temporary vocalist for a little while until Ian's former school buddy Neil Turbin joined the band, and that was in late August 1982. Uh, Turbin basically joined the band because he loved the guitar work of Greg Walls. 
And he, to this day, says that Greg Walls was the best guitarist Anthrax had. Okay. Uh, the band had, during this time, recorded its first demo tape at this point, once the band was solidified. Now, the first show with Neil Turbin on lead vocals was in September of 82 at Great Gildersleeves on the Bowery. Okay. Uh, this lineup would play regularly in the New York and New Jersey area over the next several months making a name for themselves. And Anthrax was also on the same bill at this point as an up-and-coming Metallica for several shows in the spring of 83. We played together some of the clubs in the area. Uh, guitarist Greg Walls didn't get along with Scott Ian. All right? And he would leave later that summer. Yeah. Now, drummer D'Angelo left a month later, all right, because they were kind of like buddies. Now, Neil Turbin was thinking about leaving because really the only reason he was in the band was because of Greg Walls, but he stuck it out. Okay. Um, at least for a little bit longer. All right. Now Walls was replaced right away on guitar by Bob Berry. And he was joined. He joined the band by recommendation to Turbin by Rhett Forrester of the band Riot. Okay. Riot was a popular band at the time. And Forrester recommended that Berry join Anthrax. So Barry didn't last, unfortunately, and he soon got replaced by Dan Spitz, who was formerly a member of the Jersey thrash band Overkill. Yeah. All right. Now, drummer Charlie Benanti replaced D'Angelo in September of 83. And by the time Ian and Lilker, uh, I should say by this time, uh, Scott Ian and Dan Lilker had befriended New Jersey record store owner John Zazula. All right, they became friends, uh, and he gave uh, he gave Zazula they, they gave Zazula a copy of their demo. Uh, Zazula had just started this label called Megaforce Records, and he had just released Metallica's debut album Kill 'Em All, and yep. that was that was very successful right off the bat. That was so a great in, album. Great album, yeah. So in late '83. Zazula signed Anthrax to Megaforce, and the band recorded the Soldiers of Metal single. That was their first single, and it was produced by Ross, the boss of all people, okay, who was playing at the time in Man of War, and of course, we all know Ross, the boss from The Dictators. Yep. All right. The B-side of this was an older track with Greg D'Angelo on drums called Howling Furies. And it's really the only Anthrax recording that has D'Angelo on drums at all, okay? Now, Anthrax released their debut album, Fistful of Metal, in January of 84. Former guitarist Walls said that he was shocked that the album was released and he didn't get any credit, okay? Because he said he worked hard on the songs Panic and Metal Thrashing Mad, of which he claimed, you know, he was really the primary songwriter. And there were some other songs he contributed a little bit smaller on, but he got no credit at all on it. And uh, wow. tensions in the band at this point were also building between Lilker and the rest of the guys. And they would fire him at that point. All right? And he would go on shortly, of course, to form the band Nuclear Assault with their original, with the Anthrax original singer, John Connolly. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they went on to great success. But they would kind of stay friends, even though he, he got fired. But they would work together later on, which we'll talk about. Uh, Lilka got replaced by bassist Frank Bello, who was drummer Charlie Benanti's nephew. And he was also occasionally the Anthrax roadie. Now, in August of 84, Turbin and Anthrax would part ways after some long-standing personal issues. Now, singer Matt Fallon was brought in briefly to sing in late 84, but he didn't work out. So the remaining members of the band decided to play some live shows as a four-piece named The Disease with Scott <laughs> Ian on vocals, okay? And uh, they performed basically like hardcore punk songs that they liked and other covers until they could really find a suitable singer. So they wanted to keep playing out there, but not as Anthrax and just have some fun playing covers until they could find somebody. Uh, well, that Mike, guy, can, yeah. can, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Can you believe how many members they had this group? And it doesn't end there. 
And you know yeah, what? It's the really, funny it's really... thing is, from the beginning, they've been together. They've been they've been a group for forty years. And look how many members. <laughs> Scott Ian is the glue that ha- you know holds it all together. I mean, it was yeah, he's been in every rendition. He never left. Right, he's always been the face of Anthrax. I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, the original lineup with the the, the the classic lineup, not the original lineup, the classic lineup with, you know, we're going to talk about Joey Belladonna now. Yeah. That is, to me, what Anthrax is. Okay. Okay. You know, uh, but some people have stayed with them through all the different lineups, different singers they've had. Uh, Neil Turbin wasn't bad. Okay. But for me, Joey Belladonna uh, really kind of suits them. I do like John Bush, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, I don't know. I just when I discovered Anthrax, it was because of Joey Belladonna, and so I always kind of liked that. You know, those albums with his, with him, those early, those early ones. Now in in eighty five, uh, Joey Belladonna was chosen, okay, as the new singer, and um, they came out with the Armed and Dangerous EP. And that kind of marked Belladonna's recording debut with them. Now, their second album was in the works. Uh, that was called Spreading the Disease. And that came out on Megaforce in October of 85. And it was very well received, critically and among you know, early thrash fans. And it was kind of a, a big technical leap forward from the debut album, Fistful, Fistful of Metal. And I think it's, you know, and I think most people will agree, it's one of their best albums. All right. Uh, Island Records was now affiliated with Megaforce for distribution throughout the world. And the album came out on Megaforce and was was distributed by Island worldwide. Now, this album was kind of recorded quickly and uh, still came out fantastic. But there was some studio time left over. So what they did was they would with Scott Ian, Charlie Benanti and former bandmate Dan Lilker, okay, and they would bring in vocalist Billy Milano, and they formed a side project called the Stormtroopers of Death, or SOD, SOD, okay? And they recorded the, what I think is a classic album of thrash metal. I think it really kind of, it's almost a mix of hardcore punk and thrash uh, called Speak English or Die. All right, that, and that they was, recorded. That was fantastic. Yeah, they recorded this shit in like three days, okay, and it came out in December of '85, and it's still considered, you know, a pioneering kind of crossover album between punk and thrash metal. You know, yeah. uh, I love this album. It's 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 just like, it, it to me, it's funny. All right, and and I think some people today, first of all, I don't think you could put this album out today. Uh, you'd have a problem, all right? It's not very politically correct. Oh, no. Okay? Um, and even back then, you had some people that, you know, thought they were racist or, you know, this and that. They didn't get the joke. It was, it was, it was all just a joke. It was more like satire, almost. Exactly, exactly. And satire today is a lost art. And even 30 years ago, 35 years ago, it was a little wavering, okay? I mean, you know... When you write an album and the title is called Speak English or Die, I guess someone's going to take it wrong. But it's still funny, you know? I thought it was funny. I thought it was fantastic. I I, I think it's a great... And I got to see them live, okay, once, all right? And uh, we'll talk about when they do those shows. But it was fucking hilarious. I mean, it was was just a great time, you know? Now, the U.S. tour to support spreading the disease found Anthrax opening up for Black Sabbath. Now, this was the Glenn Hughes era of Black Sabbath, which people forget about, okay? Uh, they only did four shows with them because Glenn Hughes' voice gave out, all right? He was having <laughs> problems, uh, and they had to cancel the tour. Now, in April of 86, Anthrax did its first European tour with support acts Overkill and Agent Steel with them. The tour would start in Germany, and interestingly... It actually included a show in the Ukraine very close to Chernobyl right after the That's nuclear crazy. right after the nuclear disaster. Wow. So they were they were pretty close to that, that location. Now, later that year, Anthrax toured Europe with Metallica. Uh, the tour began September 10th at St. David's Hall in the UK, and it would end September 26th in Sweden. 
All right. Now, this was the tour that Cliff Burton died from Metallica. Now, the, the, the Swedish show at the end of the, the tour with Metallica was September 26th. Uh, that would be Anthrax's last performance on the tour with Metallica. Metallica, I believe, was continuing on. Um, and, of course, what would happen the next day is there'd be that bus accident where Cliff Burton, the Metallica bass player, was killed. Wow. Yeah. Um, the band's third album, Among the Living, also one of my favorites, was released in March of 87. And, you know, it's considered a major breakthrough for the band, especially commercially. Uh, it also showcased the band's humorous side, which you got to a little bit in the Stormtroopers of Death side project. Yeah. Okay. But they had this, this comical side to them where, you know, they were all big, like, especially Scott Ian is a, is a big comic book collector. Okay. He also does his own artwork and drawing and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, he, he always was interested in uh, movies and he's a movie buff and Stephen King stuff and, and comic books. And also there's, you know, some of the songs on here were, were political in nature too. Now, the album is dedicated to the memory of Cliff Burton, and it was really successfully pushed by the singles Indians, which was an MTV hit, and I Am The Law, okay? And both of them did very well. Yeah, good the, songs. Yeah, in the charts. Now, uh, it also gave them their first gold record, Among the Living. Now, the single I Am The Law had a B-side, and that was called I'm The Man. And it was kind of like we talked at the beginning of the show, a rap metal hybrid all right, yeah. of a song. Now, what's so funny is I'm the man. You know, when, they, when he goes, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm so bad I should be in detention. I'm the man. You, ever, you know what that's from? From where? The movie Easy Money. Oh, yeah. Remember, remember, remember Julio? Is, yeah. is, right? Rodney Dangerfield's son-in-law is married to Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. Right? And he's trying to, like, tell Jennifer Jason Lee what a badass he is. Yeah. So he's like, I'm the man. I'm the man. I'm so bad. I should be in detention. <laughs> wow. You know, he took it from that. So um, Anthrax at this time was becoming known for their appreciation of rap. And Scott Ian would also be seen wearing public enemy shirts and other rap kind of stuff on stage. And also in publicity shots of the band, he would wear public enemy shirts. So, in response, Public Enemy would name check Anthrax in the lyrics to the Bring the Noise single that they released in 88. Yeah. Now, Anthrax toured for over a year to promote Among the Living. And uh, they toured again with, in Europe with Metallica. Um, they toured the U.S. with Metal T Church, Testament, DRI, Exodus, uh, Celtic Frost, and supporting... Uh, Kiss on their Crazy Nights tour. So they were definitely definitely getting around. Ima imagine all those bands, fucking uh, Metal Church, uh, Testament. I mean, like that's like all-star. All these, these guys are like... And this was the... So you would lose your mind. This was the heyday of, yeah. of metal. Okay, yeah. real metal. Okay, yeah. me metal would change in the 90s. You'd get that new metal genre and it would be yeah. a little bit mixed with industrial music and things like that. But this was the, 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 the era of, of course you had hair metal. This stuff wasn't hair metal. This was just serious yeah. balls to the wall, heavy metal. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now Anthrax would then come out with their fourth album in September 88 called state of euphoria. Uh, the album was not really as well received as among the living. Uh, it still went gold within its first five months after its release. Um, the band kind of admits they rushed it a little bit to get this out. Uh, I think they had been, you know, touring heavy and, you know, it was a lot of stress to get this album out. I actually like this album, State of Euphoria. Uh, it has the, the, the track. It, I mean, the track it's most known for is the song Antisocial. Yep. Okay. Which, that's a good song. Yeah. A lot of people know, don't know that's actually a cover. OK, um, there was a, a band. Uh, oh, God. Trust. Trust. Right. The French heavy metal band. Yeah. OK. And uh, that actually became a hit. The video for it on MTV's Headbangers Ball. 
All right, that was around the time Headbangers Ball was starting, yeah. and uh, it became a big hit right away. Now, by 89, Anthrax was starting to play in arenas, either like headlining or opening for acts like Ozzy, Living Color, Suicidal Tendencies, uh, King's X. Okay, yep. They also did the U.S. Headbangers Ball tour yep. with Halloween and Exodus. Remember Halloween? Yep. Okay, now in '89, MTV would sponsor a contest. I don't know if anybody remembers this, in which the winner would have her home trashed by the band. This girl yeah. won the contest, and Anthrax came to her house and destroyed it, basically. <laughs> okay, and uh, that would inspire their appearance on Married with Children a few years later. Which was in, fantastic. In which, yeah, the, the band, you know, the Bundys won a very similar contest. It was a TV show that they won the contest on, and Anthrax came to the house and just like wrecked everything. <laughs> no, but you know what happened first? They went to the house and did they and, play? There was a snowstorm. Oh, okay. So yeah. Nobody could show up, and then they ate something. They ate something in the refrigerator. They were like, "Oh my God, the cutters, the cutters!" And then they just started playing and tracks out. It's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just funny. I have to try to find that episode and watch it again. Fantastic. Yeah, classic stuff. Now, in 1990, Anthrax released the much more serious album, Persistence of Time. Uh, this album did a lot better than State of Euphoria. It was a darker album, uh, more kind of progressive than anything they had done prior to this. It also kind of, they, they, they were dropping their silly side a little bit, okay? Uh, this was something that a lot of serious metal fans was always like, wary about anthrax about uh you know this like goofy kind of side that they had okay and also you know going to somebody's house and trashing it and, you know things like that for the more serious metal fans out there this was uh you know a coming of age album for, for anthrax and, and they really loved it um the most successful song on this album was a cover of joe jackson of all people, Joe Jackson's song "Got the Time." Yeah, uh, and Joe Jackson himself said he liked the, that version of it. All right, um, in 1991, Anthrax would collaborate with Public Enemy, and it was on a special version of "Bring the Noise" that was recorded. It was uh, this great. was yeah, it was a hit. Okay, and the two bands actually decided to go on tour together right after that. So the compilation "Attack of the Killer Bees." came out in 91 while it was going on and it featured three tracks from their 1989 ep that came out called panic i can never i can never pronounce this peni i know i'm probably saying it wrong i never could pronounce it but it was a sh short album that came out uh i'm not even gonna try to pronounce I'm, it I'm not even gonna try to say it. it yeah okay and Damn. there was a, a chief Peni confusion. I don't know. It's got to be something. That, it means something to them. I don't know what. But <laughs> there was a, a new version on this EP of I'm the Man and their own cover of Bring the Noise. Um, and that one, Ian, Scott Ian did the vocals on that one. Okay. Now, in late 92, Joey Belladonna would be fired. And it was over creative and stylistic differences. Also, you know, there was talk of drug problems and things like that. Okay. Now, after firing Belladonna, the remaining members of the band uh, auditioned several vocalists, including. You know, you know, that firing wasn't even, it wasn't nothing personal. It was just like, it was business. It was business. That's yes. what it was. They, I mean, because we all know Joey came back. Okay? Yeah. They, they would audition Mark Azagueda, who, who was part of Death Angel, uh, Spike Javier of, of Mind Over Four. Um, however, they ended up with armored saint vocalist John Bush. Uh, right away, he was the standout favorite. In fact, I think they went through some auditions with this kind of as a formality because John Bush was actually considered earlier to replace Belladonna. Um, you know, when first prop, when problems first appeared between him and the band, um, he was kind of becoming unreliable and there was talk of drug and alcohol abuse. So 
uh, Bush would join up, John Bush, and the band at the same time left Island Records and signed with Elektra at this point. Okay, so they with Elektra. The first Elektra release was the song was the album Sound of White Noise in 1993. Uh, it this was, album was pretty good. It's a pretty good album. Okay, it, it was, was a little good. bit different. It was a little bit different. It was a little bit yeah. experimental. It was a, a, a darker kind of album again. It was um, yeah. It was dark. They, they yeah. were just going dark. <laughs> yeah, they were going very dark. Now, Sound of White Noise did receive mostly positive reviews right off the bat. Uh, one major change in the band, their sound, was that John Bush's voice was deeper than Belladonna's. So it gave them a little bit more of like a scary sound, yeah. a menacing kind of sound. Um, the song called Only was the album's first single. And in keeping with past experiments with kind of unlikely collaborations, they brought composer Angelo Badalamenti, okay, to provide some music for the song Black Lodge, all right? And that was a, a tribute to the TV show Twin Peaks, that song, all right? Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Now, this album um, contained, uh, I'm sorry, this album really continued with the pers persistence of time theme of Anthrax getting rid of its cartoonish character, okay? Yeah. Its cartoonish persona. Again, in short, a serious album. So after Sound of White Noise came out, longtime guitarist Dan Spitz left, and he actually became a watchmaker. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, right? So yeah. Anthrax stayed uh, a four-piece quartet temporarily. Um, in 1995, they released their seventh studio album, Stomp 442, on which Charlie Benanti would play most of the lead guitar parts as well as drums. Now, Benanti was assisted by Paul Crook, who would become the band's touring lead guitarist, just for touring, for several years. And they were also assisted by the late Dimebag Daryl of Pantera. Um, Electra failed pretty much to promote this album. All right? They didn't do anything for the band at this point. And it did not do well commercially. Um, Anthrax would sever ties with the label after this. All right. Um, the band went independent at this point. They signed with independent label Ignition Records. Um, they released what was called Volume 8, The Threat Is Real. That was in 1998. And just like Stomp 442, Benanti, Crook, and Darrell would share the lead guitar parts. And the album also featured Pantera vocalist Phil uh, Anselmo, okay, on guest vocals on the song Killing Box. Um, after the album's release, Ignition Records went bankrupt. And that totally disrupted the uh, distribution of this album. And, yeah. you know, that would be the end of their, their time with them. And Anthrax then would sign with Beyond Records and release the greatest hits album called Return of the Killer A's in 1999. Ironically, right after this release, Beyond went out of business. Okay, <laughs> so two, two, two labels in a row tanked on them. Okay, yeah. uh, now it was during this period they, they were thinking of doing a two vocalist tour. Okay, and it was planned with Belladonna and also Bush performing some songs. So Belladonna in the last minute backed out. All right, he, did, he didn't want to do it. So uh, return, uh, after Return of the Killer A's came out, Belladonna and Bush had actually recorded dual vocals on a cover of the Temptation song, Ball of Confusion. All right. And they had brought in Dan Lilker from the original lineup on bass for this track as well. And it's the only song with, that Anthrax does with, you know, the two guys singing together. Okay. Now, despite some hardships and legal entanglements with these labels, Anthrax carried on. And in 2001, Rob Caggiano joined the band on lead guitar. Okay. And during the 2001 Anthrax poison attacks in the USA, remember that after 9-11? Yeah. All right. The band changed its website. All right. And they, what was happening was they, people would search Anthrax and it would go to them. OK, and 
you know, it, it, they ended up putting info about that disease on their website. All right. And, you know, they basically found themselves in a public relations nightmare. Yeah. All right. Now, you know, here, we, here you have anthrax attacks are really happening in the United States. And here's their band. It's called anthrax. All right. So you want to hear something funny? Well, I was looking them up. It took me to the website with the disease. <laughs> yeah. And I think even then, you know, I don't know. Was there Google then in that in 2001? I don't remember. There was there was search engine, but I don't think it was Google. Yeah, I don't think it was either. But they, you know, whatever it was, I think it took you to the most common version of the, of the word, and that led to the band. Okay, so it was like you know a disaster. All right, so they put out a press release on October 10th, 2001, and they were joking that the band's name was going to be changed to something more friendly, like a basket full of puppies. <laughs> okay. So, however, they, they squashed really any kind of rumors about a name change because they performed in November of 2001 at the New York Steel 9-11 benefit concert. And each member was wearing a jumpsuit on stage. And basically, uh, they had a word on each of their jumpsuits. And when they were together, it spelled, we're not changing our <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Now, Bello in the band had said that they got a lot of messages from NYPD and FDNY members saying not to change their name because it would send the wrong message. So in, in 2003, the band would sign to Sanctuary Records and release their ninth studio album called We've Come For You All, which was praised as a return to form. Uh, the inside cover of the album featured a picture of the band in the jumpsuits from the New York Steel and 9-11 concert. Um, they also spent the summer of 2003 on tour with Motorhead. Now, in early 2004, Anthrax released the album The Greater of Two Evils. And it was a recorded live in the studio album, a re-recording of their earlier work, okay, with their most current lineup. Okay, so with some Belladonna songs like Madhouse, Caught in a Mosh, Indians, AIR, and Be All End All, okay, and, and among others. Okay, these were redone with the new lineup. Now, shortly afterwards, Frank Bello announced that he was leaving Anthrax to join the band Helmet and was replaced by Fate's Warning and Armored Saint bassist Joey Vera. So, again, more... More changes. Okay. Yeah, a lot of changes in this group. Yep, yep, yep. Now, a year later, in April of 2005, Anthrax uh, announced that its classic lineup of Scott Ian, Charlie Benanti, Dan Spitz, Frank Bello, and Joey Belladonna would reform. They followed with a tour, and at some shows, they would do the whole Among the Living album in its entirety from beginning to end. All right, but when it came to recording a new album, Scott Ian reported that Belladonna wasn't on board to do this. All right, so John Bush was asked to return, but he declined to do it. Okay, so Anthrax in December of 2007 announced that they had a new vocalist, Dan Nelson. Okay, he was formerly of the band Devil Size. Rob Caggiano would return on lead guitar. And in May 2008, Anthrax performed its first shows in 19 months. And that show, the first show was at the Double Door Concert Hall in Chicago. Now, later in December of 2008, Scott Ian reported that the band was recording a new studio album that uh, basically was going to be equal to giving birth to a really pissed off, loud, fast and heavy child. That was the quote. Okay. Um, the album was to be mixed by Dave Fortman, who had just worked with Slipknot and Evanescence. Okay. Now, in early 2009, they began a brief uh, South American tour opening for Iron Maiden. Uh, in July, it was announced that Dan Nelson had left the band. All right. And the original announcement by band management said it was due to illness. But Nelson denied this right away, saying that they just fired him. All right. They had to cancel some upcoming shows, unfortunately. Um, but John Bush agreed to do a show 
in August at the UK Sonosphere Festival. It actually went so well with fans that they began a campaign of Bring Back Bush. Okay. Uh, I believe this was an internet campaign. Scott Ian was fully on board with this. Uh, it worked so well that by February of 2010, Bush was back in the band formally, okay, and performed five shows down in Australia for them. Now, the band also said they intended to re record the vocals of several tracks, earlier tracks again, for an upcoming album. Um, in late 2009, Anthrax confirmed their participation in several big four concerts, which is something that they were doing that, that year. Yeah. Uh, it would continue on for almost two years with this. Now, the big four, again, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax. Uh, it started out with some several, uh, several shows in Europe, Okay, and John Bush decided that he actually didn't want to commit to this, which I think is crazy. Okay, I don't know why he did that. So Joey Belladonna jumped back in and he rejoined the on these big four dates. Okay, and he also committed to recording a new album with the band. So these big four shows were very well received. And at the Sofia Bulgaria show, they actually broadcast this live in certain movie theaters, and also they later released it on DVD and Blu-ray. So, so Mike, let me get this right. So they went back and forth between Benedict um, and Bush, and Bush, a couple of times. Because that seemed like a few times already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they you know, had, had John, and they say. Well, you know, they're in a very, I think they're in a very unique position at this point, okay, because you have a fan base that loves both. Yeah. It doesn't usually happen, okay? Uh, the only one I could think maybe would be ACDC, you know, with, with Bon Scott and, 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 and then Brian Johnson. But, of course, Scott died, okay, so that's a little different. Yeah. But, you know, ACDC fans love both, okay, and maybe even lean more towards Scott. And I think, I think most Anthrax fans lean more towards Belladonna a little bit, okay? Yeah. But I know plenty of fans that love the John Bush stuff, and it's really not bad. It's, it's, really, it's really not bad at all, okay? I just prefer the Belladonna stuff, but that's me, okay? Wow. So, the four bands actually continued on doing shows, all right? And they ended up in 2011 doing a show at Yankee Stadium, okay, which was fantastic, all right? Yep. Uh, these four bands, I mean, it was a you know, all-day fucking thing, okay? And I think, uh, I think our buddy Vinny went to that. I have to ask him. I think he did go to that. Now, back in April of 2011, uh, Anthrax headlined in the Philippines for the first time at the annual Pulp Summer Slam, okay, uh, with, De- with Death Angel and a band called Hell Yeah, okay? The band also headlined the Jägermeister side stage at the Mayhem Festival of 2012, co-headlined with Slayer and Slipknot, all right? So they also toured with Testament and Death Angel again, and in June, Anthrax released a single called Fight Em Till You Can't from what was going to be an upcoming album they were still working on. Uh, they released this as a free download on their website to thank their fans who really were waiting for several years now for new material. There really hadn't been any new, you know, new Anthrax stuff in a couple of years uh, when they were pretty consistently putting things out year after year. Yeah. Now, um, the album that would finally come out in September of 2011 was called Worship Music, and it debuted right away at number 12 on the Billboard Top 200 charts. Uh, it was their highest chart position since 1993's Sound of White Noise. And in January of 2013, Anthrax announced that lead guitarist Rob Caggiano had left to join the band Volbeat. Uh, he was replaced by Jonathan Danaeus of the band Shadows Fall. Uh, they also released an EP this time uh, of 70s rocks, anthems. Have you ever heard this album? 
No, I've never heard the anthem. Okay. I, I, I heard it once when it came out. A uh, big Anthrax fan, friend of mine, had it. Never heard it again. Never listened to it again. But I listened to it just for researching this show. And I got to give it a thumbs up, okay? They do, they do TNT by ACDC. They do Jailbreak by Thin Lizzy. I remember uh, that TNT was a real good, they yeah. did a pretty good um, red dish. Yeah, and they also cover the Rush song Anthem, okay? Which I'm not a Rush fan, but they do a pretty good version of it. So there was also two new versions of the song Crawl on there, okay, which was actually on the album Worship Music. They tacked on these two different versions. Um, the band began working on a new studio album right away by late of 2013. So in 2014, a DVD came out of, an, of a concert they did in Chile called Chile on, uh, Chile on Hell, okay, mm-hmm. which was released... Um, in 2014 and like i said it was a 2013 concert in santiago chile that they recorded um in early 2015 the band confirmed that they had new material recorded and it would be out soon and then they would embark on a tour with volby for that year all right now since belladonna's return anthrax got nominated for three grammy awards three years in a row 2012 2013 and 2014 Uh, The band in 2016, during a short U.S. tour with Lamb of God, released their 11th studio album called For All Kings. The album debuted at number nine, which was a better debut than the number 12 for worship music. Yeah. All right. And in March of that year, they opened for Iron Maiden on the Latin American leg of their tour. Uh, They were on their Book of Souls tour. Uh, They then spent the summer in Europe playing festivals in Europe for... Uh, before opening again in America, uh, doing a U.S. and Canadian tour in the fall, uh, playing with Slayer and Death Angel. Now, over the next two years, they would tour with uh, bands like Kill Switch Engage, Kill Switch Engage. They'd play again with Lamb of God, Behemoth, Testament, Napalm Death, Obituary, all right? And between May and December of 2018, They supported Slayer on Slayer's final goodbye tour. All right. Now, it was during this time that they uh, started playing Stormtrooper of Death songs. Okay. (laughs) Particularly the March of the S, which was actually the Headbangers Ball theme song. If you remember MTV's Headbangers Ball. Um, They also debuted a new song called Blood Eagle Wings. Um, Since 2018, the band has, you know, worked on new material they've been touring a lot okay obviously the pandemic stopped you know everything dead in their tracks uh, unfortunately um they basically had some touring obligations they got out of the way by the pandemic and uh scott ian's been asked you know when you're coming out with new material uh last report says 2022 should be about the time that they will release new material uh not sure if they have it and they're going on a big tour in Europe. Well, too, that's right? what they're they're hoping. Okay, they they're hoping to start touring again next year, and they don't want to release anything until some you know they can do that. So I'm pretty sure they're done. Uh, maybe they're putting some final touches on an album right now as we speak. Yeah. But you know they'll be back next year. I hope. And uh, I don't know. I saw something recently. I think on their website there. It's like the 40th anniversary. They got some kind of anthrax liquor. Yeah, whiskey, I think. A bourbon. Is it a whiskey, a type of bourbon? Yeah, uh, it's a bourbon. You know, what, what is it with these heavy metal bands? And, and, you know, Motorhead does it too. Motorhead has a wine. Wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'd like to try it, but I don't want to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they yeah. have some kind of whiskey. I, I was looking at the website also, Ben. I was looking stuff up, and... um. They had a, a bourbon on there that is like the 40th anniversary. Right. So, well, that's all I got for you, Mr. Rossi. Not bad. Pretty good 40 show, years man. of anthrax. 40, I can't believe it. And you know what? You got to give it to this band with all the changes and all the stuff. They still manage out to take albums, like album all the time. And yeah. They play, they play all the time. They play concerts. It's like no slowdown. They were on the road all the time. Yeah. And you know what? 
I just want to kind of reiterate what I was saying at the beginning of the show is, is I love anthrax, especially the early stuff in the eighties. Um, because of they, they admitted Metallica did it too. Megadeth somewhat. Okay. Admitted their punk influences. Okay. Of course, the Metallica with the misfits and, you know, uh, wearing the misfit shirts and, playing misfit songs live and they, they admitted their punk influences uh, also but the way anthrax did it i guess because they were a new york band i was more you know into them they were from queens i was into them uh just because of that and you know scott ian always admitted that like the ramones were one of his favorite bands all right and a lot of metalheads never went that far they would maybe if it was true or not i don't know whether they liked punk or whatever but uh you know they never would there was like this divide in the 80s between punk and metal now that would be crushed and changed by the late 80s because of bands like anthrax okay and metallica to some degree um you know iron maiden fans would never like anything punk rock okay but Anthrax fans did. Okay, so you had that crossover. And I used to notice it, probably the first time I really noticed it was at Ramon shows. Okay, because you would start seeing these like thrash metal fans at the shows. When maybe a year or two earlier, 86, 85, it was really just punks. But by 87, 88, 89, that changed. And you started having both fans there and a lot of it had to do with because they like to mosh okay anthrax had that song caught in a mosh okay yeah. um I, I i noticed it in those to- in those years like 88 89 that a lot of ramon shows were starting to get a heavier you know crazier kind of audience and uh and it also influ- influenced a lot of punk bands okay including the ramones who would you know do some heaviest stuff that almost borderlined on metal, almost quite, not quite, but almost. Okay. And the one common thing they had was hardcore music, thrash fans, uh, you know, DRI would start out as kind of core punk band and then morph into more thrash uh, bands like GBH from England. Yeah. They would be part of that UK 82 sort of hardcore scene, uh, quite the same as the American scene. And they would do, you know, some songs that borderlined on thrash. Uh, Same with the exploited um, would borderline on that. Uh, It was all kind of at that point in the mid to late eighties, kind of, you know, melding together. And that was cool. That was a very cool scene to, to be part of. So. Wow. That's a history, man. So they start back, uh, Joey, uh, but Don is the lead singer, right? As of now, yeah, I believe I believe he is still. Yes, I haven't heard different. Yeah, all right. So, uh, Mike, man, another great job. A lot Thanks. of information, man. Holy shit, we went through a big history, and uh, I did love that 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 that, that uh, the the stormtroopers of death. The, oh yeah, the, you need to the, get that out. You need to listen Tolkien to that. Tolkien gets die was fantastic. I remember <laughs> that. I mean, the one song I always loved from them was Premenstrual Princess Blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if people didn't get that, that was like a satire album. That was pretty much satire. You know, P- that. P- P- PMS, man. Oh, my yeah. God. It was funny. It was a sat- I told people it's a satire. It's a, it was a funny album. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they would actually, I would get to see them at the Rip. Um, they, they did a, a couple of shows. When the fuck was that? Early 90s, I think. I, I forget exactly when it was, but I, I was there and uh, got to see them. And then they, they've come out with a couple more albums over the years. I think two more, if I remember right. Wow. Yeah. So, that, All right. So that, uh, if you're looking for us online, uh, you could find me on the Rocker Mike 212, Rocker Mike 212 on Instagram. You could find me on Clout Hub and under Rocker Mike. You could find me on Facebook under Rocco Mike, Rocco Mike. And also, of course, the 
uh, group page we have for the podcast, the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook. Check it out every day. We got something going on there. Where can we find you, Rob? You can find me on any social media platform, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, at Getting Lumped Up. Yeah. Anything Lumped Up is pretty much related to any of the shows we do, and we still got a pretty crazy lineup coming up for the rest of the month. We got uh, next week, we got the making up Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin um, Physical Graffiti album. Physical Graffiti and uh, yeah. Sister Mercy we got coming up. So we got some Sister good Mercy. shows. And- We're going to do a special show on, on Sam Hain at the end of the month. Uh, hopefully, we'll have a guest on, a buddy of mine. Uh, and uh, that might be a video show. You'll get to see our ugly mugs. Oh, yeah, that's good, good stuff. And we also got The Replacement, The Maker of the Kids solo album, Body Hottie, The Beach Boy, and so on and so on. And it continue on into next year. We're going to have a great end of the year show. Yep. Okay, we got a couple months to prepare for that. Uh, and, of course, we'll bring on Scott the Clown. He's the tradition we have uh, yep. for that one. And uh, yep. what do we say at the end of every show, Rob? Don't get drunk. Get lumped up. See you next week. Take care, people. The only podcast you will hear That will be music to your ear You'll learn about bands you love or may not know it's only here on The Rock Show